I love how today's scriptures all really blend so well together to give us a full picture of God's desire, God's mission in the world. We just heard from Isaiah 56 where God's desire is not just to bring Israel back to the fold, but all of those that are scattered outside of Israel as well. Not only does God want to gather those who are outside of the nation of Israel, but all those who are, Israel considers foreigners as well. God says, I want to bring them into my house of prayer. My house will be known as a house of prayer for all peoples. Um, and it will be a house where they are gathered in joyfully, uh, not with any sort of, of, of negativity or, um, or derision towards those people that are considered outsiders to, to Israel. And so it really does kind of blow the hinges off of this uh, narrow exclusivity that sometimes Israel was, was guilty of. And the prophets continued to come to Israel and say, hey, God is a God of, of, of the foreigners as well. God is a God of all of humanity. And, and God has a desire to bring salvation to all of humanity. And Israel, you are to be a light to the whole world, not just a light unto yourself. And so with that and, and Paul's message to the, to the church in Rome, we encounter this, this really unique conversation um, between Jesus and a Canaanite woman in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to look at that, and I want to invite you to, to, to become unsettled by this scripture passage. I know that's not a common request from me, but I really want to sit in the discomfort of this text because I really do believe that the Holy Spirit oftentimes unsettles us so that the Holy Spirit can, can unearth some of the things that really need to be drawn forward to the surface for us, especially in, in our present cultural moment and things like that. So I want you to, to invite yourself to, to be unsettled by the Holy Spirit today and really sit with some of the discomfort in this text and dwelling on those questions that I asked at the beginning of service. What is it like to ask in deep desperation only to receive silence in return or, or negative opposition? And, and how might we as the church or believers or, or our society be doing that to people that we might consider on the outside? Uh, who do we consider outsiders and how might we be just responding in silence to their voices today? So if you take your Bibles out with me, let's turn to this passage, Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read verses 10 through 28. Um, I'm going to be reading it from the Common English Bible this morning. Uh, so join with me in, in reading along as we look at this event in Christ's ministry. Jesus called the crowd near and said to them, Listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that contaminates a person in God's sight. It's what comes out of the mouth that contaminates the person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what you just said? Jesus replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father didn't plant will be pulled up. Leave the Pharisees alone. They are blind people who are guides to blind people. But if a blind person leads another blind person, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter spoke up, Explain this riddle. Jesus said, Don't you understand yet? 
Don't you know that everything that goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what goes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and that's what contaminates a person in God's sight. Out of the hearts come evil thoughts, murderous intentions, adultery, sexual sins, thefts, false testimonies, and insults. These contaminate a person in God's sight. But eating without washing hands doesn't contaminate a person in God's perspective. From there, Jesus went to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from those territories came out and shouted, Show mercy to me, son of David. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. But he re didn't respond to her at all. His disciples came and urged him, send her away. She keeps shouting out after us. And Jesus replied, I've been sent only to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, it is not good to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. It will be done just as you wish. And right then her daughter was healed. This is the written word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So wow, a lot going on in this passage. And, and to, as I invite you to sit in and maybe get unsettled or discomfort, uh, discomforted uh, by that passage, I want to give you a little bit of context uh, to what might be happening in this passage. I don't know, but I'd, I'd love to hear if that, as I read that passage even now, I am made uncomfortable. It's probably one of the most discomforting passages to me in, in Scripture. The way that Jesus responds to her seems to clash with what he just said to the disciples, that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart is, is what comes out of the mouth, and that's what contaminates a person in the sight of the Lord. And in, in light of all of his ministry, how he's been calling to bring good news to the, to the oppressed and the poor and the, and the disenfranchised and the powerless, his response to the Canaanite woman seems to contradict that, and it, and it causes some discomfort for me. It, it makes me ask, well, what are we supposed to pull from this passage here? And, and I want to invite you to think with me over some of these things. Well, first, I want to point out that Matthew really highlights lineage. If you read in the birth narrative, Matthew painstakingly talks about who Jesus' ancestors are to, to outline this lineage from the king of David. And, and three people in that lineage are, are Rahab, Tamar, and Ruth. And these are all three Canaanite women. And so for her to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me, as a Canaanite woman, she's pointing out that the, the same ancestry blood that flows through his veins also flows through her veins as well. That, that they have ancestors in common, that they are not just human beings, but they are also from the same lineage, have the same ancestry. 
So this Canaanite woman is saying, Jesus, son of David, in whom, in whose house and lineage I also draw, have mercy upon me. And then she says, have mercy on me. This isn't some, someone bursting in and claiming entitlement over what Jesus, um, who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. No, she may have heard rumors all throughout the region that people just brought their sick before Jesus. The healing of the, of the multitudes before he sat them down and fed them on the mountain. All the people just brought their sick to Jesus. And think with me for a minute. Do you think in a crowd of over 5,000 people that there weren't any people that Israelites considered foreigners in that massive multitude of crowds? We're not even told if they're all Israelites or not. So Jesus may, may have healed people that were outside of Israel in that miracle. And so she's asking to have mercy upon her and her daughter's condition of being possessed by a demon. She's not asking anything beyond what other people have already asked from Jesus in Matthew's gospel. The difference is, is he is in a Gentile territory. As they cross the, the Sea of Galilee, People from that region, Gentiles in that region, just grabbed the, the hem of his garment and they were healed by this, this tangible presence of, of God's power. And so this Canaanite woman's request is, is to say, look at how we are kin. Look at how we are, we are related. Please have mercy upon me and my daughter's situation. And then she calls him Lord. Lord, have mercy upon me. Son of David, have mercy upon me. So she's not only acknowledging the royalty that he comes from, the kinship that she has with him, but also pointing to his lordship as the Messiah, pointing to him being Lord of all. She is, she is acknowledging his messianic mission in the world. And then things, this all seems to be normal so far. Normal request from a very ordinary person, uh, someone that Jesus has tended to in the past and wouldn't seem be far-fetched for him to respond and just simply heal her daughter. But what we see is silence, something really unsettling. A Canaanite woman from those territories came out and shouted, Show mercy upon me, son of David. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. But he didn't respond to her at all. And then it gets even a little bit more troubling because the disciples asked to send the multitudes away. Remember that feeding of the 5,000? They said, send them away so that they can get food from the surrounding regions. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. Well, in this moment, the disciples say the same thing. Send her away. She keeps uh, calling out to us. And Jesus says, he doesn't say, no, you care for her or you tend to her or you pray for her. He, instead of responding to his disciples, he responds to the woman and says, I've been sent only to the lost sheep of the people of Israel. This kind of exclusive claim that his work, his mission, his desire 
is only to the lost sheep of Israel. And don't you have Isaiah still ringing in your ears? Jesus knew Isaiah better than anyone in that culture. And so he knew as well Isaiah's prophecy that the mission of God is not only to bring Israel to God's self, but to bring all the world, even those that Israel considers foreigners and outcasts and, and, and Gentiles, people who they consider to be outsiders. God is wanting to bring them into the mission of God as well. So this response from Jesus seems to be even more troubling. She knelt before him, and this is when she calls him Lord. She says, Lord, help me. And then it gets even more troubling. In verse 26, he responds with, with it is not good for, for us to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And I've told you this before, the Greek word used for dogs here is, is really close to a, a, a slanderous slur of, of, of race or elitism that, that the Jewish people thought that they were better than Canaanites. Um, you have to understand that Greeks and, and Gentiles both had dogs as pets. And Jews did not have dogs as pets in the first century. They saw them as pretty unclean and scavengers and things like that. Um, somebody who loves his dog so much can't imagine just seeing them as, as pests in, in the culture. But Gentiles and Greeks, they, they all had domesticated dogs in their household. And it was a common practice in Gentile households to, as they were eating at the table, their dogs would come up, as all of us who have dogs know, they come up to the table and they would actually feed them under the table as the rest of the family is eating. They were part of the family, much like they were today. And so to, for Jesus to respond and, and insinuate that she is a, a dog and, and the, the meal that the, the real uh, Israel is, is enjoying from God can't be shared with the dogs is, is derogatory and, and negative. It's unsettling to say the least. But then she responds by saying, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. And this even harkens back to the feeding of the 5,000. Didn't Jesus and the disciples gather 12 baskets of bread left over, showing the expansive breadth and, and the abundance of God's salvation and, and desire to feed and, and to heal all the world with all that is left over? So much so that there were 12 baskets left over from this abundant grace of God. And hasn't it been Jesus that it's been talking about this little bit of a mustard seed that the, the glory of God can bring about magnificent purposes beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. I think what happens next here reminds me of that, the, that verse in Isaiah that says, those who we consider foreigners minister to the Lord. 
And that's, that's something that, that really jars my mind. Like, how do we minister to the Lord? And we know several times in the Gospels where Jesus is ministered to. His physical needs are, are met by those around him. That he, he is, his feet are washed with, with a, an expensive perfume. He's, his, his body is tended to after he dies by those with, with spices and perfume. There's many ways and examples in the Bible where the Lord is ministered to. And I think part of ministering to someone is also saying, hey, can you think a little bit deeper about this, about this reality that you're talking about, about this, this pursuit, this mission that you're on? Can you think a little bit more critically or deeper about this? And so she responds to Jesus, I think, ministering to the Lord and says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, she says. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. And I think in this moment, Jesus is, there's something pivotal that happens here. And this is really where I want us to just zero in and focus in on what might be taking place in this passage. You see, Jesus is the most faithful example that we have in the whole world, not just the Bible, but in all of history, time, and eternity. Jesus is the most faithful example of love and righteousness in all of eternity. Amen? (laughs) And so if we look at what happens with Jesus here, Jesus does not have a fragile foundation. His hope, his righteousness, his faith, his obedience is in the presence of God. That is where Jesus draws his loyalty, his identity, his righteousness, his his holiness, his, his reactions and relationships with other people. It is all grounded in the firm foundation of God. And how Jesus responds to when this woman says, yes, but even the breadcrumbs can be given to the dogs. Jesus shows that firm foundation by acknowledging her faith, acknowledging that she is correct, acknowledging that the vision that God has brought the Messiah into the world is directly, he has set his face towards Jerusalem, towards the cross to usher in salvation for the whole world. And he's not gonna go to the right or to the left, but he's going to go straight to that mission of God in the world and complete that on the cross. And her request may seem outside of that mission, but she reminds Jesus, just like Isaiah, that her needs, her desires, her, her need for healing and salvation is also included in that mission. She's not asking Jesus to deviate from that, that, that mission of salvation. She's asking him to remember that her needs, her welfare, her reality is included in that mission of salvation. If Jesus was an insecure leader, If Jesus was a man of insecurity and ego and pride, Jesus would have doubled down and said, no, you are not allowed. I'm right, you're wrong. You are not allowed to have what I've only come to bring to the nation of Israel. 
You are from a backwater country. You're from a people who, who haven't worked well with us. You, you're lazy and entitled. All the things that the Jewish people thought of Canaanites, Jesus would have doubled down and sent all of that rhetoric towards her again. And because of his insecurity as a leader, he would have made sure that she knew that she was wrong and he was right because being right would be more important. Being right is most important to insecure people. Do you hear me this morning? Being right is the most important thing for insecure people. Jesus is not an insecure person. Jesus is more determined and his goal is truth. Not to be right and to prove other people as wrong. Jesus' primary goal is truth in the spirit of God, pursuing the kingdom of God in the world. And so from that foundation of truth in God's presence, when you are a secure person in God, you are secure enough to understand when maybe you are too focused on something and that that intention needs to be calibrated. Those metrics need to be revisited to understand that maybe I am... I'm considering people outside that are actually inside the mission of God. Maybe I'm so focused and so determined on what's right that I'm ignoring and silencing those that are trying to say, hey, this is part of God's mission too. I'm not asking you to deviate to the right or to the left. I want you to fulfill God's mission in the world, but this is also included in that. A demon-possessed child that needs this demon eradicated out of her life. People who are calling Christ Lord. People who are asking for mercy. If we're not able to hear them and only meet them with silence, then maybe we don't have a, a big enough vision of what God is trying to do in the world. I think a really good example of this is when our, our black brothers and sisters ask for justice in the world. And I've heard a really, sometimes the most hurtful things are when we take a truth and use it in a derogatory way. And let me give you an example. When, when our black brothers and sisters say that their lives matter and they are asking for their lives to matter equally as, as everyone else. And we've talked about this, about how uh, law enforcement's response is just, it's different to people of color than it is to, to, to people of, of my color. <laughs> the, the law enforcement, society treats them differently simply because of the color of our sin. And being able to acknowledge that and repent from that comes from a secure foundation. Insecure people get rattled up and unsettled and kind of frenzied when other people say, hey, our, our lives matter too. When, when we hear that desire for justice and it makes us rattled or, or uncomfortable, it, it, it comes from places of insecurity, not a strong foundation in God. And an insecure response to, people, to black people saying that their lives matter is the phrase, all lives matter. That's using a truth in a very insecure way. Because yes, all lives matter. Unborn lives matter. 
our, my life matters. Everyone in Idaho, all, all lives around the world matter. But that response comes from a place of insecurity because it's akin to saying during 9-11, during September 11th, when people are saying, how horrible that this happened to those buildings in New York. What if people responded, yeah, but all buildings matter. Well, yeah, all buildings do matter, but those buildings are burning down because of a terrorist attack. If that's that would be a response and insecurity, and you can understand how how silly and and really ignorant that phrase would be during 9/11, and so to respond from people like the Canaanite woman in Jesus' time, and people of color in our time. To respond using a truth, yes, he'd been sent for the lost sheep of Israel. That is true. But to respond in ways of saying all lives matter to people who are saying that they want their lives to matter equally comes from a place of deep insecurity and not a deep foundation in God that allows us to see when our vision isn't big enough. When our, our pursuit for God's kingdom isn't including a, a really important element, that, that justice for those that we may consider outsiders, or justice for those whose experience we are completely unaware of. Jesus, as a Jewish man, doesn't understand the deep realities of what it means to be a Canaanite woman in the first century with a demon-possessed daughter. There's no way he and his disciples could understand her reality. But how does Jesus respond? At the end of this event, Jesus responds from a secure place in God and says, Woman, your faith literally just blew me away. Your faith makes, let's, let's read it, your faith has made you whole. Jesus responds by saying, Woman, you have great faith. It will be just as you wish. And that Greek word is where we get the word will. Her will, her persistence, her, her persistent faith in requesting mercy and healing from the Lord is what brought this miracle into being. She persisted. She persisted forward in needing her voice to be heard as a desperate mother caring for her child. She persisted to be heard in the presence of Jesus. I think Jesus had this event included in his ministry and documented by not only Matthew but also Mark because it really shows us the ways in which culture plays into this mentality of having insiders and outsiders that the gospel really doesn't allow us to have. Our, our culture causes us to be silent in the face of experiences that we just don't understand. When we don't understand another person's experience, we usually fall silent because their requests for justice or mercy seem to rattle with our framework, our, our foundations of the way that the world works. But this is why it's so important to have a firm foundation in God, because when other people ask for mercy or justice or help or healing or wholeness, our firm foundation in God allows us 
that, that, that firm stability to look at our mission and say, okay, I'm firm in God. I know whose child I am. Therefore, from that firm foundation, I can look and see where maybe my humanity is not really allowing me to see the full vision of, of what God wants to do in this moment. So I'm going to listen deeper, try to step outside of my experience into theirs and, and listen not with not respond in silence, but maybe listen in a way that that tries to empathize with their experience and understanding. Then it shows separation. Jesus responds in a way of like, "I have not come; I've come only for the lost sheep of Israel." And the disciples saying, "Send her away." This sort of separation, this distance that. Their cries are maybe too unsettling or uncomfortable, and so we want to put distance between us and them. And it furthers that silence and, and, and denying maybe their cries for, for help. And then segregation. Jesus says, I only have come for the lost sheep of Israel. And when we think that our endeavors are only for a certain kind of people, it's not just racism, but when the, the economy or wealth or resources should only go to a certain type of people, whether it be just hardworking people. What if people are unable to work hard? What if people have not been given the adequate uh, a platform or ability or education to, to be able to work hard the way that we define work, right? So how we, we often segregate us between like those who pick themselves up by their bootstraps. Well, Martin Luther King said it's a cruel tragedy to say to a bootless man to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. We, have, we often segregate ourselves from people whose experiences we don't understand, but who are also included in the mission of God in the world. And then we often respond with slurs or, or, or insecurity statements, like, like we've covered already, where, where Jesus responded, the, the, the breadcrumbs aren't good to just feed to the dogs, they're for the children. So we respond in those sort of negative ways. And whenever you're resorting to name calling, you've already checked off silence, separation, and segregation. Name calling is really the, the barrier line that you've already decided to not listen. You're gonna separate yourselves from them. You're even gonna put people in different categories. And then when you start labeling those people, whoever they are, if they're lazy or entitled or uh, power hungry, whatever title you want or slur you use, you've already checked off the box of being silent, separating yourselves from them and really segregating them into these other boxes in your mind when you start calling them those people. Even, even when you start uh, being passive aggressive or telling people to grow up, like these things should never come from the mouths of Christians. I heard an incredible quote the other day from a pastor that said, you know, Sheep is a really weird insult for Christians to use. Let's just sink that in a little bit when we call Jesus the great shepherd. Sheep, which is going around all over the place, sheep is a really weird insult for Christians to use. And also, insults are really weird things for Christians to use. So if you catch yourself insulting with your mind or your mouth, remember, out of the abundance of the heart, 
out of the abundance of silence, separation, segregation, or just compartmentalizing people and putting them in boxes, when you start speaking out loud or typing out loud those sorts of names towards those people, whoever they may be, you've already checked off the box and that's the abundance of your heart being revealed by those things. And I think God's people are called for that security that Christ represents here this security in the foundation of God that allowed even Jesus himself to check his perspective in light of this Canaanite woman's presentation of faith and cry out for justice. And then he responded not out of ego or insecurity or, or, or frantic doubling down, but he responded and said, you know what? Your faith is incredible. What you wish is done. Didn't even have to go touch the child. Didn't even have to have her bring her child to him. The, the demon was driven out because of her persistence. And Jesus acknowledges that. And if our Messiah is secure enough, the, the leader of our entire church as Christianity if our Messiah is able and strong enough and has that much integrity to do that, shouldn't we as the church also mirror that integrity, that resiliency in our foundation of God to pursue truth, even to the point of saying, look, we have an exclusive vision in the world. We want the salvation of Christ to come in the world. We want the gospel of Christ to be preached. We want people to understand that Jesus is Lord and Savior of all the world. That's our exclusive vision in the world to baptize all nations in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is secure enough in the foundation of God in that exclusive vision in the world, shouldn't we as the church also be that secure to say, you know what, maybe part of the truth of God's mission also includes something that we never even, it was beyond our imagination or our conception when we started out pursuing that mission. And I think that's a, such a deep lesson that we need to, to learn from uh, Christ in this, this moment of his ministry. In our day and age, we have several different responses to, to things that are going on in our culture. Whenever conflict, crisis, or turbulation comes about, typically we see organizations, whether they be political or religious, respond with a, a, a frenzied orthodoxy. And what I mean by that is frenzied legalism that they double down and say, no, this is right, this is wrong, and if you're in the wrong camp, then there's no in-between. If you're in the wrong camp, you're completely cut off. You're part of those people. And that frenzied spirit, that frantic spirit is not what we're called to be. In moments of, of political turmoil, you'll see political leaders doubling down because of insecurities and, and ego and pride, and they'll double down on their politics and say, these people are wrong and these and we are right, and and we're we're gonna we're gonna pursue what this is right, and those people are wrong, and so you need to be in our camp, and they foster fear towards those other people rather than saying, Hey, look, we're not perfect. They have some great ideas across the aisle. And, and we really need to work together. That's the point. Pursuing truth fundamentally starts with working together. 
pursuing what is right and what is wrong only says there are people that are wrong and people that are right and that's it. There's no middle ground. Truth is always finding reconciliation. Truth is always finding out ways to work together. And so a frantic politic is one that says, this is right and this is wrong. And by golly, we're going to pursue what is only right to us rather than this desire to work together. And so when we're faced with conflict in the world, if we see frantic legalism or frantic politics, that is coming from a very, a place of prideful insecurity, not a firm foundation in our hope, who is Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. And from our firm foundation in God, we can respond with the humility and integrity and the bravery of saying, maybe our vision wasn't big enough. Let's see how we can work together. That was exemplified by Jesus in this conversation with the Canaanite woman. So I, I, want to, I want to ask those questions again. When have you been met with silence to a deep request, a desperate request? How did that make you feel? Isolated, pushed out, and, and did somebody respond to you with saying, nope, you don't really deserve that? It's, it's not your place to have that right now. How did that make you feel when you were asking for mercy? Maybe it was a large bill or a prescription or, or from a family member to give you grace in a relationship and understanding, yet you were only met with silence and separation. How did that make you feel? Pushed away, isolated and separate. I want you to know that God desires your persistent faithfulness in prayer. Even if you're feeling silence from the God of the universe, Jesus highlights the great faith of the Canaanite woman that we also can embody to persist in faithful prayers. Even when we're only hearing silence, that God is desiring to work these things out together from stable places uh, of secure truth with one another. So persist in faithfulness. Don't give up. If you feel like you're only being met by silence from people or God, persist in faithful declarations of prayer and asking for mercy and, and, and crying out to both God and humanity because the desire of the mission of God is truth, to work together towards reconciliation and salvation. And I think... It, out of every other moment in 2020 or even 2019 or 2018, all of the seven years that I've even been your pastor, in any other moment in history, now is the time for the church, us as a collective body to say, what's not included in our vision? Who are we only responding to in silence right now? Who in our culture is crying out for mercy and we're only being met with silence from the church? Who is crying out for mercy and we're only saying, hey, sorry, salvation's only met for, for these people? Who is crying out, Lord, please just give me even a breadcrumb and we're saying, sorry, we're not supposed to give salvation to who we consider outsiders, outside the, the realm of God. Who, where do we need a check in our perspective of God's mission in the world so that the Holy Spirit can come and unsettle us and say, hey, 
This is the truthful way. And for us, in integrity and certainty in our foundation of God can say, you know what? Their faith is great. And we really need to respond in a merciful way and, and see what evil demonic forces need to be driven out, even in our own midst and in their midst, so that we can reconcile and say, salvation has come not just for us. Salvation has come for the whole world. And those who are crying out for justice and mercy also need the salvation of God. And who are we to say that salvation has only come for us? The reality is, is that you can feed your pets and your children at the same time. The Canaanite woman says, Jesus, you can feed your children and your pets at the same time. God's vision can also be for Israel and for Canaanites. <laughs> And Jesus responds, your faith is great. That, what audacious faith to imagine such an abundant gospel. Sometimes the church needs to be the people who first say, why didn't we think of that? We serve an abundant, truthful, holy God who has come to save the whole world. Why didn't we think about salvation also coming for people who we thought were completely outside of receiving the salvation of God? The salvation can be for us and other people and those people that we think are so removed from doing the good work of God in the world. When they come to a point of crying out for mercy, needing help, needing healing from God, and yet we are so sure that they are outsiders, who are we to hold on to the salvation of God in the world? We need that secure foundation in God to say, you know what? Their persistent, faithful cries for mercy is great. The same faithfulness that we are, are presented with in the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we have ears to hear. May the words of our mouths reveal the abundance of a desire for all of God's children, all of humanity come to salvation in Jesus Christ. May the words of our mouth and the actions of our lives reveal an abundance of belief that God's mission is for all the world. And may the church show that same heart and out of our mouth collectively as a church say, you know what? We're not gonna respond to each other in silence. We're not gonna respond to the world in silence. We're not gonna respond to each other in negativity, separation, or segregation. We're gonna respond in the unity of truth that God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son has brought to us in our lives. We wanna see that same salvation in the world. I think the Holy Spirit is bringing about a new revival for all that God's mission can be in the world. And the church is called to step up and be an institution, to be a movement, to be a people that is so secure in the mission of God that we have the integrity and the confidence and the bravery to realize maybe where we aren't seeing things fully and include elements in the mission of God that may not be there already. 
may we have that audacious faithfulness in prayer, in love, in hospitality to one another that is revealed by the Canaanite woman here because God responds by saying that faith, it is that faith that is great. And maybe, maybe we could look for that in the ways that the world is responding right now. Where do we see great faithfulness in the world that we feel like maybe is outside of the mission of God? The Holy Spirit might be saying, hey, let's check our vision. Let's check our mission. Let's see maybe where the Holy Spirit is calling us where we would have never imagined before because our God is great and God is driving us to be the ambassadors of Christ's mission in the world. May we be followers of Christ even in this example to where we can see all that God is doing in all the world. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord God, I pray that you would take this sermon and use it for your glory. I pray that the Holy Spirit that has gone before me, even before preaching this, this sermon, that would have gone before the, the ears of those who would hear it. I pray that the unsettledness in this gospel passage would lead to a secureness in your foundation, Lord God. That when we are unsettled and maybe corrected by the Holy Spirit, it leads to a further uh, solidified certainty and assurance in who you are and who you've called us to be. Lord God, lead us to a revival of your vision in this world. Lead your church to the integrity and the humility and the surrender to hear great faith in this world. May we be, as Jesus shows us now, people who are so secure in your mission that we are able to have the audacious faith to see where things need to be healed and reconciled and pursue that with all of who we are in joy. <laughs> in radical candor, in radical uh, willingness to see your mission just spill out into the world. May we not be so fearful and so insecure that we are holding on to the mission of God as if there is a limited supply. But may we know that your abundance is driving us to an abundant life in this world with your gospel. In these uncertain, divided times, may your church be a place of unity, of peace, and bringers of justice, bringers of joy, bringers of such audacious faith that the world has never seen. May we be a source of healing for the hurting and the broken and the divided in our culture today. In Jesus' precious name, all God's people said, amen. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. Stay tuned for uh, Stacy's benediction. I encourage you to give during, during this online gathering time. Our tithes, as you may know, uh, is dwindling during this time of, of, of online worship. And I just want to encourage you that if you benefit from the ministry of Euclid, if you benefit from the, the ministry of the church as a whole. We have fed so many families. We have ministered to so many people. We've replaced washers and dryers and kept people's utility bills on. We have, we have been able to supply um, different supplies for people in need during this, this season. We have given financial support and, and it's empowered your pastors to be spiritual uh, 
counselors and, and, and emotional support for people during this time. If you've benefited from anything, any of those things, or you want those things to continue, I want to encourage you to tithe consistently, especially during a time where attendance by the national statistics is dropping off because of online worship like this across the nation. So I, I want us to, to be faithful in prioritizing that in our budgets because we know that when we collectively use what just giving a little, each of us giving a little and tithing faithfully, God can do abundant things. So I just really want to encourage you, be faithful in giving. I don't want financial barriers to stand in the way of the ministry of Euclid here. Um, it takes all of us to give just a little bit faithfully so that God can use it for in miraculous ways. So if, if you can't give online, send in checks. Be patient with us as we cash those things. Send in. We do get those things. But I just really want to encourage you to prioritize your faithful giving to the church so that this ministry can continue because there's nothing else like the church out there in the world. And, and we here at Euclid are committed to meeting the, both the physical and spiritual needs needs of our people. So give faithfully so that we can continue that work of God that has called us to in Southeast Boise. Thank you so much for coming and worshiping with us today. Uh, join Pastor Stacy in our benediction this morning.